So anybody remember our message from last week? Stop cheating by looking at your notes from last week. What was last week about? What was that? Risk takers. Yes, God is looking for risk takers. So instead of doing a review, I had it all typed up to do a review. I heard something this week that I just want to uh, jump on. I want to interview in front of you, last minute, not planned, Holy Spirit stuff. I want to interview a risk taker in front of you. And that's going to be our review of last week. Learn from this person. Elena, will you come up? You can sit next to me so you don't so nervous. So Elena had an issue in school uh, this week uh, with another girl. So I just want to just ask her questions and uh, see how a risk taker handles uh, issues with people. So tell us what happened quick, just real quick, like what was the bad thing that happened? So she was being really rude to me and she told the teacher on me about something that wasn't true. And she... And it made me really sad. Okay, so, so you went outside at lunchtime and slashed her tires? Oh, that's right. That's right. What grade are you in? Third. Third. All right. So you don't drive. So you got a bunch of girls and you surrounded her in the bathroom and you threatened her life? No. Okay. So maybe third graders don't do that. I know high schoolers do. So when the teacher turned her back, you basically pushed her down? No. So what did you do? I helped her through what she is doing, and I um, helped her out with saying a Bible verse, Ephesians 4.32. And, and what kind of words did you tell her about, you know, what she did to you and how it made you feel? It, when she came over and talked to me, I said what she did was made me sad, and it made me really sad and mad. She should have said, I'm sorry. I told her that God forgives. His child. And so she told her that that when you have Jesus, you're you're kind to one another. (laughs) I'm undone by you. Ah. So the girl walked away. She doesn't know what's going to become of this, but she shared Jesus instead of slashing her tires. She shared the gospel. Thank you, Elena. Third grade, folks. Third grades, she didn't avoid the issue. She went to her and said, what you did to me was not nice. And it made me feel sad. And so let me tell you about my God and how we're supposed to treat each other. She, she was probably nervous and didn't tell you all the words. So I want to read this verse to you and I want to tell you that, that God, she probably quoted it. Honestly, I don't know what, I don't know what that verse is. <laughs> and a third grader quoted it to her in class. And said, and said, God asks us to be kind to one another. Risk taker? Living on the edge? Because she could get a lot of backlash from that. And she could be the one, because of what she said, in the bathroom cornered by girls. But she took a risk, didn't she? To share about her God. So let me just add to last week's message. God doesn't just have a track record of calling normal, unqualified, unskilled, uneducated people with weaknesses and shortcomings and struggles and inadequacies. He calls third graders to share the gospel. And you're too afraid to talk about God at work because you're afraid of how you will be treated. Learn from a child. Who don't, they don't live in fear and worry. They don't care what people think about them at that age. I mean, to some extent, she's coming into that. It's mind-blowing. That girl is marked. Marked means it's clearly evident that God has a calling on her life. God is looking for risk-takers. That's what we talked about. 
people who are willing to serve him and love him first and love their neighbor and serve them first before they ever do anything for themselves and to bring the supernatural to the natural. Do you know, if you weren't here for the Keep Your Love On series, do you know what heaven's environment consists of? Do you know what it consists of that you're supposed to draw and bring to earth? L-O-V-E. That's the environment there. More specifically, unconditional love. Supernatural love. I mean, if you think about it, you're like, well, yeah, but doesn't healing, aren't we supposed to pull healing? Listen, I wouldn't even heal someone if I didn't love them so much that I wanted them to be out of pain. And I actually think that's one of the keys to healing is to have, and uh, Joel, the new pastor at uh, Smithtown, he's the one I said, you know, why do you think God's moving and healing through you so much lately? And he said, actually, it was when I started connecting with the people that I was praying for with compassion instead of just doing a church healing prayer. I actually wanted them healed because I felt bad for them. And I felt their pain. I said, wow, that is literally the heart of Jesus. When we, when we said that when it comes to our walk with God, faith always involves risk. She took a major risk in third grade to be ostracized and bullied. And we need to pray for her because it still may happen. But she doesn't care. Faith always involves a risk, and a risk for God, not ourselves, always involves a reward. So she may not ever get a reward here on planet Earth, but when she gets to heaven, man, I'm telling you what, Jesus is going to hug that little girl. Probably she'll have to say, Jesus, please, I can't breathe. Well, it's not going to be an issue in heaven, but God will use us if we don't hide behind our excuses. For today, part two of this, and there's actually a part three next week, and the Lord gave me, uh, in order for you to be confident, bold, and, and a faithful risk taker who endures to the end and finishes well, you need to know or be reminded of who you are when you are in Christ. You need to know who you are when you are in Christ. That means when you're a believer. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, maybe this will convince you today that you need him. I'm hoping after today that you will want him in your life, to change your life. What I want to do today for the unbeliever and believers alike is to compare the life that I'm going to show you to the current life that you're living now and then make a decision. Which life do you want to continue to live after today? And believers, you better listen up because some of you are not living the life you were called to live. Today we're going to look at a lot of scriptures and yet only see a few promises of what God says about who you are in Christ. Understand, I'm only going to show you a few. It's riddled all throughout the Bible who you are in Christ. And then next week, uh, to wrap this series up, we're actually going to, it may be, next week may look completely different. I don't know. I'm going to come in on Wednesday. Unless he speaks until Wednesday, I'm just going to say, Lord, what do you want next or this Sunday to look like? But I know we're going to focus on communion. Thanking him for what he has done for us and honoring him for allowing us to to be his supernatural, mind-blowing ambassadors for him. So to start this off, I want to look at the worldly side of this issue first. Because how people see us is a major part of our society. It's one of the reasons that social media is consuming us. Because it gives us an an avenue to create and live in a false sense of reality. And sadly now, we are all striving for our identity, but we really don't have a clue what it is or where to find it. And now, because of the influence of Instagram and Facebook and you name it, I I got rid of most of them. I do have Snapchat because I love to get your Snapchats. Uh, The cutest ones I've been getting are from Robin and Kaylee of of uh, Renly. Oh my word, that kid is adorable. But I couldn't handle all the junk on the other stuff. I just couldn't do it. We put more emphasis on how many likes our selfies and posts receive than what God says about who we are. Maybe for you it's not social media. Maybe for you your, your, your identity is based in a job title. 
Maybe it's a marital status. Maybe it's a dress size or the car you drive or some version of what you think success means or where you live, what neighborhood you're in. Our kids are giving up their purity on a daily basis, all in the pursuit for identity and acceptance. So no matter how old you are or where you are in life, we have this posing question before us. By the way, I started thinking this week, why do I always go to the left? I don't know. Do they need more Jesus than you? Because I'm always going to this screen, so I'm going to try to train myself to do the opposite every time, but I I can't say that I'm going to focus on it. So here's the question that is posed before us every single hour of every single day. How I see myself. How do I see myself? As God sees me or as the world sees me? As God sees me or as my mom sees me? As God sees me or as the pastor sees me? Because you need to worry more about what God thinks of you, not, not me, right? And whoever said, come on first, I need to talk to you afterwards, all right? We're gonna... <laughs> it must be I said something. <laughs> come on, that's true. I don't believe what he said about me, no. Even as Christians, our identity has become about what church we go to, right? What denomination we're a part of. Now it's what political party we belong to. We are identified as religious people instead of being identified as children of Christ. As a child of Christ. Want to know why so many people, including Christians, are unhappy and depressed and unfulfilled and discouraged and gloomy and negative and riddled with anxiety and worry and fear? Because they're not living out their true personal identity. So I'm going to state this for the record. This is, this is just me not saying I'm right. I've got counselors in the room that will probably be talking to me afterwards. It should, it should bother us that the opinions of others has such a powerful effect on our self-image. That should bother us. That we allow people to have so much power over us, our self-image. I know that it, that it still tries to come back every once in a while on me, but since my inner healing, I told that oppressor where to go. Back to the pit of hell where it belongs, where he belongs. I got rid of rejection, shame, and insecurity. Powerful. Also in your notes, until we get a clear, until we get clear on the worth that God has already proclaimed over us, until we get clear on our biblical worth, the opinions of others will continue to influence our emotional, relational, and spiritual well-being. Until we get clear on what God says about us, we are going to struggle with our emotions. That means your moods and attitudes and whatever else Amy and Josh would add. Our relationships, how we treat others and how how we allow others to treat us. And our spiritual well-being, it affects our faith and trust in God. Let me state it more emphatically. Until we get clear on the worth God has already proclaimed over us, we will continue to struggle with depression, anxiety, worry, stress, addiction, anger, anger, and hopelessness. We will continue to take on offense. Do you know the Bible says, do not be offended. Don't take on offense. It doesn't mean you won't be offended, but you take care of it right away. But you remember the couple weeks ago, I said, we've got to stop being so easily offended. As followers of Christ, we have got to stop being thin-skinned and realize that some of the things that people say to us is their brokenness. It's not true what they said. It's just they're broken. So stop being so offended. Well, you offended me when you did this, and you offended me. I almost think it's just like you're just living this new lifestyle of offense. You're looking for it, you're finding it, and you're loving it. Because then everybody else is the problem, but think about that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that. That was new. Broken, unhealthy, or so you continue to take on offense, jealousy, envy, strife, and covetousness towards others. And you continue to have broken, unhealthy, unequally yoked, codependent, and abusive relationship with others. That's what happens when you don't know your worth in God. 
And we continue to walk in a lack of faith, obedience, and trust towards God. And we walk in a lack of experiencing the supernatural, miraculous, mind-blowing ways of God. And continue to walk in a lack of worth, a lack of destiny, a lack of purpose, and a lack of true identity. Which means, to me, that we are still lost and not found. I don't mean salvation-wise, but that could be true. But I just mean it's a child who's just kind of lost. Staying in their bedroom, not opening up and talking with their parents, with their daddy in heaven. Lost, not found, because they're beating themselves up because of something somebody said about them. Until we get clear on the worth God has already proclaimed over us, the opinion of others will continue to influence our emotional, relational, and spiritual well-being. Josh McDowell said this, This is because research shows that we tend to act in harmony with what we perceive ourselves to be. So it's not always a them issue. Sometimes it's the way we see ourselves. And often we allow our perception of ourselves to be based completely on how others treat us and what they say about us. Ever wonder if you have a cloudy identity? Well, in this blog that I caught from Josh McDowell accidentally, out of a possible long list, he gives three crippling traits in your notes, three crippling traits from having a cloudy identity. Remember last week, Jeff Foxworthy, here's your sign. Here's your sign that you have a broken or a lost identity that's not uh, rooted in Christ. Trait number one, you have difficulty relating to others. You have difficulty relating to others, especially when you're in the presence of people who remind you of your perceived shortcomings. In other words, what you think and have come to believe based on the opinions of others about yourself, about your flaws, about your defects, about your imperfections, about your limitations, about your blemishes or your weaknesses. This causes you, listen, this causes you to push good people away. And it causes people to think that you are self-centered and uncaring. You have difficulty relating to others. Trait number two, you constantly look to others for your worth. You constantly look to others for your worth. Here's the problem. You are allowing others to determine your worth. You are allowing others to determine your value. You only feel worth when you're around people who praise you. Critical people make your worth plunge, and it shouldn't, because your worth is not rooted in them and their words. What does this really mean? If this is you, really lean into this. It means you are a slave to the opinions of other people, and you will become weary You will grow tired and you will be worn out of never liking yourself. Trait number three, you constantly have negative expectations. In other words, you expect and anticipate to be rejected and to be cheated on and to be unappreciated and devalued and cheapened. No matter what good people do for you, you will always see the negative. And then your behaviors will manifest in this way. In other words, you will act out. Whenever you hear the word manifest, it's a physical sign of what's going on. You will act out in this way. You will never trust anyone. And you will always be suspicious. Once again, what an exhausting, tiring way to live. Remember, what you look for... You will find. Thank you, Jerry, for reading my lips. What you look, took 17 years and he can read my lips now. What you look for, you will find. If you bring your church wounds into this house from another house and you look for them here, you will find it. Former people pleaser turned God pleaser. That's what this is all about. If you look for past church wounds here, thank you, Jerry. Somebody's working with me this morning. 
and in the next church you'll find it, and in the next, and in the next, and eventually you'll start looking for them at work, and you look for them in your family, and pretty soon you will be isolated because you are looking for offense. And when you look for offense, you'll find it. Thank you for joining Jerry. Instead of getting healed from those wounds. Instead of getting healed from the wounds, you will eventually quit church completely because what you seek... Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're using the black Bibles in front of you, it's page 1201 under the chairs in front of you. We're going to try to buy some new ones and fill those chairs a little bit more. Thank you to a donation made in Paul Gabala's name. We are going to buy more Bibles for under the chairs. 1 Peter chapter 2. Okay, so we're going to shift gears now. That's the negative worldly side of this. The good news is this. The vicious cycle of comparison and self-judgment and cloudy identity can be overcome and broken off of you. If, if we can learn to base our identities on the only criteria that matters, what God thinks of us and who God says you are, right? So right before verse 9, it says this. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. Listen to this. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. And then it says this in verse 9. But you are not like that. Are you sleeping on me? You are not like that. For you are a, you say the green word, you are a people. You are a priest, a nation, God's, wow, God's very own possession. As a result, you then can do what Elena did and show others the goodness of God. Listen, what you did to me was not good, but let me talk about the goodness of God. He is kind, and I serve him, so no matter what you do to me, I'm going to be kind to you. I would love it for you to be kind back. This is what she preached to that girl. You didn't hear all the words because she kept some out. That's what she said to that girl. My God tells me to be kind, so I'm going to be kind to you no matter how you treat me, but it would be nice if you were kind back. (laughs) Oh, man, Lord, I'm telling you, we may be joining a third grade class with Revival. They may, it may break out in her class, and we may be going over to her school. Where does she go, by the way? The Christian school, the Baptist down the road? Or Awesome. We'll just be praying for that class and that school. So that you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Stop defining yourself as darkness. You are in the light. Verse 10. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are. Once, nothing. Now you are God's people. Now you have an identity in God, in Christ. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as what? Say temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. So now he's given us the condition, what we must do to maintain this identity. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Now why? So we can draw them to Christ, to the light. Yes, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Living and behaving like the world is no longer your identity or where you get your self-worth because you won't find your true identity, your true self, your true purpose, your true destiny in the world. I know that this, this is difficult to wrap our human minds around, but we will never find our identity on this earth. Because we are not of this world. We are just visiting for a while. Because we are temporary residents and foreigners to this land. But we're here for a reason, right? Our true identity comes from the one who created us. I mean, who else has the right to tell us who we are? Huh? 
our parents, because parents' words are powerful. Parents, if you're listening, be very careful. And men, we're going to be talking about this in our men's group. Your role is to speak identity into your children. So you better know this, or you won't know what to speak. And instead, you're going to be saying things like, you're so slow. You're so dumb. How did you not hit the target the first shot after everything I've taught you? You stupid child. What do you think they're going to grow up believing? A father specifically, men, fathers speak identity into their children. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an honor to carry, but there's a lot of weight with that. Right? Who else has the right to tell me who I am? Family members, friends, coworkers, pastors, a boyfriend or a girlfriend? No, they didn't create you. Some of them think they did, but they didn't because ultimately God did. What does this mean? It means that you need to seek healing from all the negative, ungodly words spoken over you and about you from people. Mere humans who have no right to speak anything less than what and who God says you are. So forgive them. They were speaking from their own brokenness. Who else has the authority to define your purpose and your destiny? Huh? Your boss? Just because he fired you, it doesn't mean you don't have a future. Right? Your professor, your parents, your mentor, your, a, physic, a, a psychic, a fortune teller, a palm reader, a crystal ball, stars in the horoscope. No, they don't guide you. God does. Right? So if you feel like the world looks down on you and you're lonely because people don't want to spend time with you because you're so close to God, or maybe you're getting picked on at school for being a Christian, God says that only means you're doing everything right because you're just a foreigner. If we follow God with all of our hearts in a sinful world, we will be persecuted. It's not fun now, but risk for God always involves a reward. Lean into the heart. Don't turn your back on God. Endure to the end. And you're not going to believe the reward you're going to receive. So let's look at God's word to see what it says about those who believe. I'm going to move quickly so that we uh, can get done in a good time. So I don't know who's taking me out to lunch, but start praying about that right now. Because my wife is in, in Bradford right now. Let's, let's just pray. She's actually going to be starting her second sermon here pretty soon. She's in our Bradford Free Methodist Church. They just did a, a whole series on prayer, and she's closing out that series with intercession, on intercession. And now you know there's going to be activation, so it's going to be crazy. So she had to, do, she had to leave at 6.30 this morning for an hour and 40-minute trip, and then preach two sermons and then drive home. So, Father, we just lift uh, Open Arms Church up right now. We don't know what happened in the morning service, Lord, but we pray over this second service that just began. And we pray for the presence of God just to fall on that place and be with our spiritual mom. As she brings the word and radically changes lives because intercession is not being taught in the church. And so God is using this little church in Pennsylvania. When I say little, I don't mean little. We are huge spiritually. Maybe small in number compared to other churches that have 10,000 gathering this morning. But, the, but we, God is doing huge, amazing things through us. Book publishing companies starting. Book authors, songwriters. And now angels being asked to go to preach on this intercession to so many places she's having to say no. So, Father, we just ask for your anointing to be on her as she brings the word. She radically, this is not about our church. This is about us being leveraged to change the kingdom, to change, to wake up the church, and to bring people into the kingdom through your word, through things that aren't being taught that we were never scared to teach. And you're leveraging us now because we leaned into the hard and the difficult when, when a lot of other people were rejecting it. And so we pray a special anointing over her in Jesus' name. Amen. She's been invited to so many churches, she's had to turn them away. This is what's happening in this little church. Because sadly now, pastors want to wake up their church. They have no idea how. And yet, they don't need angel. They have this. They don't need Angel, but they're using Angel because she's the one that's reading this 24 hours a day almost. Oh, my word, she did not sleep last night and kept me up all night. She was tossing. She's so nervous when she goes to other places. She was up all night. This 
is who I am in Christ. This list. It's just some of them, okay? Who I am in Christ, okay? Number one in your notes. I am, probably the most important, alive with Christ. I am alive with Christ. Check this out from the Amplified Version. It's so detailed and cool. Ephesians 2, 4, through, 4 and 5 in the Amplified Version. But God, being so very rich in mercy, because of his great and wonderful love, which he loved us, remember, first, even he loved us even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sin. So you just remember, I didn't say that. Sin separates us from God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, but sin separates us from his presence. Okay? And so while we're sinning, he's just up there going, oh, man, when is this going to end? I just want my child to come home. He made us spiritually alive, and that's, that's amazing alone, together with Christ. For by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. Our relationship with Christ has made us alive. You can say, well, pastor, I started breathing at the time of birth, not when I asked Jesus into my heart. Remember, you were born into a sinful nature, a sinful world. Without Jesus, we were all doomed to to a miserable death. But with him, we have the power over sin and death. You actually really started to breathe when he breathed life into your spirit. So now when another human rejects you and says something manipulative and abusive, like, well, if you don't do what I want you to do, then you will be dead to me. Now you can giggle with confidence and say, oh, that's okay. You never brought me life to begin with. (laughs) Because I'm alive in Christ. My self-worth doesn't come from pleasing you. My self-worth, girls, teenage girls, listen, most of all boys, teenage boys, my self-worth doesn't come from giving in to you and what you want from me. It comes from pleasing him. Love you, bye. Can you imagine this little girl grows up, this little third grader grows up and a boy tries to say, if you don't have sex with me, then I'm dead to you. Can you imagine what Elena's going to say to him? Later. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Because I'm not about pleasing you. I'm about pleasing him. Number two, I'm alive in Christ. Number two, I am guarded by peace. This is our word for the year. So we'll probably repeat this eventually, this passage. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Then, I should have capitalized that word, then. So we actually have to do something in our own minds first. We have to get our thoughts under control and stop worrying. Then you will experience God's peace. We, all, we go, God, why, do I, why aren't you taking this away from me? He goes, you're, you're the one that keeps thinking about them. You're the one that keeps allowing Satan to whisper those lies, and you entertain them. Are they true? Then you will experience God's peace when you stop worrying about and you start praying about, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There is no way that you can have peace without trusting in someone bigger than you. There is no way you can have peace without trusting in someone bigger than you. That's a huge statement. This peace protects you and keeps you when you go through some of life's most difficult seasons. Listen. Only God offers perfect peace. It is a, everything else is temporary. When you get high so that you can stop worrying about your rent being three months behind, it's temporary peace. You're not sober-minded because you don't want to think about it. And when you come off the high, now you're four months behind. So then you go get drunk and high, and then when you get sobered up a little bit, you're five months behind. Because you're not really doing anything about the issue. You're just avoiding it. That's what we do. We numb ourselves, right, counselor? Counselors? Only God has perfect peace or offers perfect peace. It is available at all times, but to have it, there is a condition. If you read the verses, there's a condition. You must have an unwavering trust in him and his plan. And the condition is, right at the end, 
as you live in Christ Jesus. And when you experience God's peace, can I tell you, you're not going to be able to describe it to anyone. At least not coherently. You're going to be a babbling idiot trying to explain to them what God just did for you. So I've told this story many times. I'm not going to tell the whole story. I was at camp one time. I was sitting about right where Kaylee was. Uh, I was a counselor of, of, a, of a, uh, a cabin. I wasn't the director. I was a counselor. All my kids went to the altar, and I was still sitting back there going, God, what do I do? Like, the, the, the altar was flooded. And so I'm like, I, I want to pray, but there's other people praying for them, so maybe you don't need me up there. And the whole time he's like, I want you up front. I want you up front. I want you up front. But I never sensed that it was to pray, so I just went up out of duty. Because I knew he wanted me to go up front, but he never said to pray for people. But I was just going to go up and do the church thing. I was just going to lay hands on my boys and say, Father, whatever. I don't remember what the sermon was on. Okay? This is what happened. Can you move that Bible? This is what happened. I get out. I walk up. I'm just walking up, and I'm not feeling like anything special. And I walk up, and there was a wall right here of the anointing of the Lord. There was a wall at the altar. That's why when Dusty says, you need to come up front and worship, I'm telling you, it's not always true, but sometimes there's something happening in a special place, and altars are very huge in the word of God, and sometimes the anointing is only up here. Not that you won't feel it back there, but there's, a, I should say, a special anointing, a deeper, heavier presence that you won't experience in your seat. So you've got to get up out of your seat, okay? Sometimes it'll happen back there in the corner, and nothing's happening up here. So if you see it happening, go over there and get in it. Just go over there and stand. Oh. Okay, because this is what happened to me. I was going up there. I was just trying to pick the boy I was going to pray for first. And I went just like this. Uh, I, I literally hit a wall of peace that I've never felt before. And, I, and to this day have not felt again. I felt such an amazing peace that my knees buckled. Thank God for the chair or I would have went right down. And, and here's what happened. I told this story, but some, a lot of you are new. The service ended about 10.30. I was in that chair till 3.30 in the morning. Bawling the entire time because of what I was experiencing. And I don't know if I was in another place. I just know heaven came to earth and I felt such a peace that I did not want to leave. They had to get another counselor to put my boys to bed. My boys came down about at midnight. They snuck out of the cabin because they were so worried about me. They brought me a gallon of water. And they said, we've never seen anybody weep like you've wept. And we were afraid you were going to get dehydrated and pass out. And nobody's looking over you. Nobody's watching out for you. So here's a gallon of water. Sorry for interrupting you. And they left. I had numerous counselors come up. And they said, are you okay? I said, leave me alone. Because I didn't want it to lift. Leave me alone. Don't touch me. Just leave me alone. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. And they walked away. From 10.30 to 3.30 in the morning. You put that together. Five hours, is it? I sat in the most amazing peace and I cannot describe it to you. I can't. I can't put it into words. You can't put that atmosphere into words here. You just, you just have to experience it. Well, I don't think God will let me experience that. Yes, he will. I wasn't a perfect saint. I was doubting whether to, I should come up front. And I didn't know who to pray. I didn't even know what I was supposed to do. I was a, just, a, just a, a, a wreck of an idiot, really. I mean, I was a good guy, and, you know, but I just didn't know what to do. And he's just like, just go up front. I'll tell you what to do later. <laughs> oh, man. If he would have told me what was going to happen, I wouldn't have gone up front. Because I would have been afraid that I would have gone down in the spirit, and then it, everybody would have been talking. And... Number three. You're alive in Christ. You're guarded by peace. And the evil one cannot touch you. Wow, that should get an amen. 1 John 5, 18. We know, that God's, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. This is how you know you're a child. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. What's the condition? Those who do not practice sin. Luke 10, 17 and 19 says this, when, uh, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you, he's speaking to you right now this morning. I have given you the authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Don't think of that literally as snakes and scorpions. So don't go to Arizona and try this with bare feet, okay? It, it could, but I think there's more to this. 
Nothing will injure you. Dude, who, sorry, I didn't mean, guys, how, how can anybody wreck this temporary vehicle? The flesh already is growing old and weak and dying on its own. No, what, what is somebody, if somebody shot me, all they do is give me my Cadillac sooner. I don't have to live in fear of scorpions or snakes. Remember the condition. It is for those who are in Christ, which means we must remain and abide in Jesus the vine, not in sin. Number four, I have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who has known the mind and purposes of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ to be guided by his thoughts and purposes. This may be a poor example of it, but I want to try to explain this in a way that younger believers will understand. It's kind of like when you've been married to someone for, for a long time. You know them intimately, you know them deeply, and there comes a point that you don't even have to ask them. You just know what they're thinking. When you walk with the Lord and grow and mature in relationships and you talk to him and listen to him daily, you just know what he's thinking. You just know what he would do. You learn to discern. Remember that from last week? We're going to have to do a sermon on it. Somebody better. You, you just learn to discern his voice. It's like he's in your mind. Hello. You get Satan out of there, he's going to inhabit your mind. And by the way, the reason that we dealt with all the junk in the beginning is because if you don't get the lies out of your mind, the truth can't live there. Did you hear that? These words sum up the difference between the non-Christian and the Christian. The scripture makes no sense to the unbeliever. This is because it's impossible for the unbeliever to grasp the things of God without the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Who can know the mind of the Lord? No one can, except for the one who has received the Holy Spirit and allows him to guide, correct, convict, and teach them. And the one who dives into the Word of God and studies the heart of God. They're the ones that are going to know. So if you're new to the faith, this takes time. It's a process to learn the voice of God and to discern what to do with it. That is why we can't quit just because life gets hard, right? Take time and grow in him. Number five in your notes. I will heal the sick and set the captives free. Hello, why do you think we started inner healing? Why do you think our vision is to bring hope healing? Physical, emotional, spiritual. Physical, spiritual, emotional. What's the other one? I'm missing one. Mental. Healing. To everybody at work. Okay, so I know lots of stories about Elena. I got to tell you, she lays hands on people at school and and in our community. She doesn't wait. She just heals them and prays for healing. She She just does it. Give it a whirl like last week or two weeks ago. Mark 16, 17, and 18. These miraculous signs will accompany... Who? Those who believe. That's the condition because at salvation, when you ask the Lord into your life, you automatically receive the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, in you. And then it's a wild, adventurous relationship after that, like marriage. (laughs) Oh, it's wild, right, Zach? It's wild. You partner with the Spirit of God to bring the powers of heaven to earth. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. So go do it. Stop bringing them to me. We should pray for the sick with confidence that God will answer that prayer and bring healing. Such faith cannot be faked. No matter how gifted, insistent, or righteous we think we are, our responsibility is to pray and leave the results up to God. Some have abused and made healing ministries a circus. Others have decided healing is fake. It's all fake. But our responsibility is to be faithful to this, to the teaching of God's word. In other words, if the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. God does want us moving in healing today. I don't care what other churches are telling you. In fact, for those who are always doubting uh, that we should uh, be ministering the supernatural today, look at the next one. If you, if you think we shouldn't go down that crazy road of doing the supernatural as a church, look at number six. I will do greater things than Christ. Greater than. John 14, 12 through 14. 
Only verse 12 is on the screen, but I'm going to read 13 and 14 after it. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I've already done. Can I just remind you that he raised people from the dead? And he said, you'll do the same if you believe. When is someone going to start a church in the basement of our hospitals? When is someone going to start a church at the mortuary or the funeral home? And if that doesn't blow your mind, listen to this. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I am going home to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, it goes on to say, and I will do it so that, there's a condition, I will do anything if you ask for it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father, not you. You ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And the condition is if we believe, we will do amazing things through Christ in us and, and if he receives the glory instead of us. Can you imagine doing greater things than Jesus did? Probably not. And that is probably why we are not seeing it. For most of us, all we do is think about the sin that is in us and how we will never be able to overcome it and another thing is what the, how the church isn't meeting our needs. This is what we consume ourselves with now. And we wonder why we're not seeing greater things than Christ. This is why so many of us are walking around with our heads down, struggling with depression and anger and anxiety and more, because we have a cloudy identity of ourselves and of the church. I got news for you. The church isn't here to meet your needs. It's actually in existence to train, equip, and send you to do greater things than Jesus. That's why we're here, not to make you happy, not to find you friends, to equip you to do great things out there and in here, okay, right? Don't, don't get a false identity of the church. This is why I believe that we're not doing greater things than Christ today because we can't get over ourselves enough to see the power that is in us for others, which makes the next one sound like a contradiction, but let me explain before I show you. Our relationship with God is just like a marriage. And we don't go into a marriage, hopefully, expecting the other person to meet our needs. We go in meeting their needs without expecting anything in return. We do it, listen, this is scriptural, we do it simply because we love them. However, the principle is that if you meet their needs, they will in return want to meet your needs. That is at least what God had in mind for marriage. Of course, humans mess that up. And some people are takers, and they keep taking and taking without ever reciprocating love. Don't be that person. With that said, here's the principle. If I strive to obey God's commands and live righteous and holy before him, if I love him first, then love others, then here's the promise to you, number seven. I will have all my needs met. The Apostle Paul tells us uh, this in Philippians 4.19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs as well from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now most of you know what I'm going to say next, but some of you don't. And I don't want them to be confused. This doesn't mean that you will receive everything and anything you ask for from God. It means that if the glory of God is at the core of all we do, then he will give us what we need, not what we want, right? And he only gives us what we need so that he will receive the glory from our receiving. Is God capable of meeting all of our needs? Yes, he is capable of meeting all of our needs, and he has promised to provide all of our needs. If we pray to God to provide something that we think we need, and he chooses not to provide it, maybe it wasn't really a need. Maybe it was a want. Maybe it wasn't his will for you. Maybe it was just a fleshly want and desire. And think about this. It may be him protecting you from something. I was just telling uh, Travis and Molly, poor Travis and Molly have been looking for a house and they, you know, they, keep, they keep finding these dream homes. Like Travis was like, oh, I saw the most amazing man cave. It fell through. I said, don't give up. I went house shopping with Josh Woodard. Where are you? Is he in the room? 
I went house shopping with him, and there was two houses that he thought was his dream home. And I, what did I say to you over and over? You were devastated with the one house. I still remember. I can picture it. He was devastated, and I said, it only means if you're listening to God and obeying to God and not rushing into things, it only means he has the dream house for you. He's actually working on it right now. And did you not get your dream house? Whew. If you haven't been there, you better invite yourself over. <laughs> it's awesome. Wow. Okay? If it's a no, it doesn't mean God's punishing or rejecting you. What if it's actually love? What if the no is love? What if it's simply the fact that he sees everything from his view of eternity in heaven, and because of that view, he knows what's best for you? So let's not question or doubt him. Do you know in the Old Testament, God promised to prosper his people, but it wasn't so that they could build bigger barns. It was so that they would have the means to minister to those in need. I believe that this principle holds truth for us today as well. God promises to provide for our needs as we seek to serve others. The promise of verse 19 is an amazing one, but only for those who are humble servants who place the needs of others above their own in Christ Jesus. Now, she just left the room, but I was going to pick on her. It's people who understand that when God blesses you with a house with an indoor pool, that the pastor should get a key to that house. She left, so you have to repeat that to her, to come and go as he pleases. I love when God blessed Amy with that house, and what I'm hearing from uh, Molly and Travis, they're looking for a ministry home now, not just a home for their own needs. Am Am I representing you well? That's what she said. If God blesses me with this house, it is going to be our house. It's going to be a kingdom house, not mine. Wow, when you place that kind of house in God's hands, he's going to do amazing things. And look what's happening. She's ministering to someone almost every day out of that house, even in the hot tub. It's a ministry, it's a ministry. especially when you just started going to the gym for the first time ever. Oh, I'm sore. Amy, you just missed it, but we're just laughing at you. So number seven was, I'll have all my needs met, but only if you leverage it for the kingdom. And I was telling them that when you, God gave you that house, you said it was going to be a ministry house, which means the pastor gets a key and he can come and go as he pleases. Okay, there you go. So she's getting keys made up now. Okay, she's not going to give you a key. She's, only, she's going to give me a key. All right. God supplies our needs. Why? To give to and bless others. Why? What is God up to? Here it is, number eight. This is who you are in Christ. When you understand the principle of loving your neighbor, number eight, I am the light of the world. That's a powerful statement. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. I'm only going to read 14 and 16. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. That would be dumb. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, this is how you become a light. Let your good deeds, that means it's always about doing something for somebody else. That's what you're going to be judged on. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. It is a little overwhelming to think about what this means. Jesus is and was the light of the world and now he needs us. So we, our little Jesus is running around in 2023. We are the light to the world. You and me, we are all that he has to work with. That's a scary thought. But the world is in spiritual darkness. And Jesus came as a light to a dark world to call men out of the darkness and into the light. What did Elena do? Called this little girl out of mean words and into the light. You're not supposed to be speaking like that. God wants you to be kind. I am wrecked by her. And we now today are supposed to reflect the light of his glory to the world. How? By our good works, which he performs in us. How do we do it? By loving God well first, and then by loving our neighbor well. Think of the privilege that we have to shine his glory to the whole earth. What an awesome honor that we have to expose the evil deeds of darkness. 
so that we can illuminate the path of righteousness. You see why I did the risk taker thing first? And now you need to know who you are because actually you are to do what Elena did. She called out darkness out of that girl. You were mean to me. It hurt. Let me tell you what Jesus says. You are to be kind. And I'm, I'm demanding, in so many words, that you be kind to me. And if not, bye-bye. Love you. Bye. Boundaries. And if you corner me in the bathroom with a whole bunch of girls, I'm going to believe that God's just going to part the Red Sea and I'm just going to walk through untouched. Come on, guys. I'm using a third grader, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us. And we can only do this, illuminate the path of righteousness for people in darkness because of number nine, our last one, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. You can only do any of this if you remind yourself every day that you are forgiven when you ask for forgiveness, okay? And you don't hold on to it. See, we're really good. We think it's too easy. So we're, we have a, we have, it's easier for us to ask God for forgiveness. We have trouble forgiving ourselves. It's just too easy. I need to be punished because that's what I was taught. Be punished when I make a mistake. Um, actually, it's already been taken care of. So stop punishing yourself in your mind. Ephesians 1 through 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. How many of us know that we would not be here in the house of God this morning if it wasn't for the grace of God? You see, we get it. We understand that this isn't about being perfect. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We are in church serving God because we know that we're messed up and we need him. We love him because he first loved us. There's the principle in scripture. And, and that, there's the principle in scripture that we talked about. We love him because he first loved us. And if we love him, we won't be able to abuse that grace and keep on sinning. And then expect him just to ignore it. Because that would be us abusing him in the relationship. You get that? I made up this story to try to explain grace uh, years ago. Uh, to Abigail and one of her friends when they were in high school. Um, so I hope it makes sense. Grace is like when you get into an accident and you just, re- this, this is funny, Cadillac. No, that's where I got the word. Grace is like when you get into an accident and you just wrecked your dad's new 2023 Cadillac. You are afraid to call him to tell him that you just wrapped it around a telephone pole. Because you were text messaging your boyfriend or girlfriend while driving, even though he told you don't ever text while driving one of my vehicles. So now you have to make the call. Your hands are shaking. Your voice is quivering. Try to tell him that he has to make a payment on a car for the next six years that he can't drive. Dad interrupts because he hears his daughter's scared voice. And with the concern only a parent and God can understand, he asked what happened because he's worried about his little baby. So you proceed to tell him what happened. And the first thing out of his mouth is, I knew it. I knew you would wreck it. I knew you're so careless, you're out of control, you're mindless, you're selfish, and you're selfish, and you're stupid. I bet you totaled it, didn't you? No, no, no. That's not grace. Grace is when his first response is, Oh my goodness, are you okay? Are you hurt? Where are you? I'm on my way. Think about the heart of the Father for you when you sin. And you respond, but Daddy, let me tell you about the car. And he responds, I don't care about the car, honey. I want to be with you, and I want to make sure that you are okay. I am on the way to take care of you. Everything will be okay. I don't care about how it happened. I just want you to be home with me. That's grace. Don't abuse it. Don't abuse that relationship, because that is the heart of the Father. I don't care what the world tells you. That is the heart of the Father. How many of you can say that the Cadillac story sounds just like the God that you serve? He doesn't care what you've done. He just wants you to stop being so ashamed of what you did and get back home into his house where he can watch over you. He forgives us when we mess up and just asks us to keep moving, learn from it, don't repeat it, learn from it and move on with me beside you in the passenger seat so I can yell at you when you start sinning and texting and driving. 
I'm not saying it's a sin, but just be careful because it is a law, I think. Let's stand. And of course, I want you to bow your heads and I want you to... Uh, Katie, Pastor Josh, and Amy come up, but you're going to be dismissed so you can go. But I just, if you struggle with identity, I want them to walk you through renouncing it, repenting for it, and replacing it. Repent, renounce, replace, however it is. I can't remember the order. And let's just be set free from it. Amen? If there's a long line, just be really quick. You can do this quick. The Bible says you don't have to be fancy and long with your words. Remember that healing chair, people. You don't, if there's a line, just pay attention. If there's a line, you don't have to pray for 15 minutes. You can say, in the name of Jesus, leg be restored. And you can be done. It's not about long, fancy prayers. It's about the power that runs through your veins. Right? Next week, the reason why I want to focus on communion, and I'm not sure the worship team might be ready. Dusty, I'll be talking to you. We might be doing a lot more worshiping and just doing communion. I'm not sure. I'm going to teach a little bit on it. But I want to just hang out with God in a worshipful atmosphere. And I just want to spend a long time, maybe the sermon time, most of the sermon time, just thanking him for who he is. Maybe revival will fall. Maybe it'll fall today after this. I don't know because he's the one that decides when to make it drop. That's not my goal. I don't want to be Asbury. I, I, I just know this is what he spoke to me. We are just going to focus on who our daddy is and thanking him for not holding it against us that we wreck his Cadillac every once in a while. It's what communion is all about, right? Thanking him for being that kind of daddy, that he would put himself on the cross for you and me so that we can be alive in Christ. But for today, I just want you to close your eyes and just prayerfully consider what you just heard. I just presented to you two different lifestyles. One, where all you're concerned about is how people see you and how you see yourself. And you are exhausted and tired and worn out trying to keep up with everyone else's false worldly expectations of you. Do you know the idol that's on your heart is the opinion of others? And you need to ask the Holy Spirit to remove that idol today. You can say it right now in your prayer as you're praying with me. Remove that idol, Lord, that I worry so much about what other people think of me. And I stopped worrying about what you think of me. It doesn't mean that we abuse people because we don't worry about what they think, right? I'm talking about harsh words towards you that you didn't deserve. Maybe you did deserve it, but you can't take those words on as your identity. You just ask for forgiveness and then let it go. Remove the idol from your heart about the opinions of others and replace it with God's opinion of you. Or you're worn out trying to maintain how you see yourself. You think you're ugly. You think you're stupid. You're unworthy. It's not about what others have said. You're the problem. It's you. You have a cloudy identity issue about yourself. Can I tell you that the idol on your heart is you? It's you. You have made your opinion about yourself higher than God's opinion about who you are. Basically, and this is a little scary, you have made yourself a God, little g. You have made yourself an idol. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you remove that idol and replace it with God's opinion of who you are. So God, if that's you, you just say, I remove myself as an idol from my heart and I replace you there. God, I remove my mom from the idol position of my heart and I replace you there. God, I remove that pastor or that church, including the pastor that's on the stage, the words that he said over me that hurt me and and made me start thinking maybe I'm unworthy. I remove them from my heart as an idol. I am no longer going to let them determine what my heart feels or where my heart leads me. And I am going to replace you as the idol of my heart. Father, I remove that person who sexually abused me and I've allowed them to control my, my, my emotions, my spiritual direction, my emotions, my behaviors and my attitudes. Everything I do has been determined by that person that sexually abused me. I remove them. I repent of putting them there. I remove them and I renounce that person to be an idol and I replace you there, right? So some of you are doing the work now. Can you come, uh, Katie and Angel and Jen and Pastor Josh? Ernie? Because the other lifestyle that I presented 
is that you're alive in Christ, guarded by peace. The evil can't touch you. You have the mind of Christ. You get to heal the sick and set the captives free. You get to do greater things than Christ. Have all your godly needs met. Be a light to darkness and be forgiven today, tomorrow, and next week. So the question is, which life do you want to continue to live after today? Which version? The tired, worn out, weary one? Or the one who walks up to people and shares a scripture verse and says, God tells us to be kind, you will be kind to me, or we won't be friends. Father, I pray all all of this over us. We've already basically prayed. We have a choice to make. Will our identity be in the words of people we loved or, or we don't even know, really, because words affect us. It's hard. Once a word is released, you can't take it back. We have to be careful what words are coming from our mouths towards other people. You can be forgiven, but not necessarily forgotten about. Those words are not forgotten. They just let you off the hook. In Jesus' name, if you want this for your life, the identity of Christ, then say in Jesus' name, that word is for me. Holy Spirit, help me to walk it out from this day forward. Amen. If you want prayer, please come uh, and, and we'll walk you through it if you need help walking through. Maybe you don't even know what it is, but they can walk you through asking the Holy Spirit what it is and he will reveal to you what it is. Otherwise, you are dismissed to go. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.